Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yanyan. Today, I'm going to talk about a problem we have in this earth. People think we should not hate anything. In fact, there's big signs, hate written, and then a slash across it. We're not supposed to hate anything. But God gave us not only the ability to love, the ability to hate. It's what we hate that's important to God. He said to Jesus when he arose into heaven, you have loved righteousness and hated iniquity. And then God poured out gladness upon Jesus, the oil of the Holy Spirit. So there are certain things we need to understand today. We're going to talk about how to hate what God hates. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. Great to have you here with us today. I'm going to teach from one of my favorite books, of which I don't mention that often, but the book of Hebrews is an incredible book. And it literally takes the law of Moses and then breaks it down and helps us understand New Testament salvation, New Testament living for Jesus Christ, which actually is a misnomer. It's always been the way of salvation and always been the way for discipleship. So we're going to talk about that today and we're going to take a passage out of Hebrews chapter 1 and explain it. But the beauty of this is, is that the law was designed to teach us about how to be saved, how to walk with God, and the law itself was not the means of salvation. It's kind of like if somebody gave you a book on how to drive, it mentions, you know, here's where the starter button is, here all this is, and you think, now that I've read the book, I can drive a car. No, that book has taught you how to drive a car. You need to start doing it and learning it yourself, because the book can only show you which buttons are what, but there's a feel to them that you can't get from a book. There's a feel from a brake pedal you can't get from a book. And that's what the book of Hebrews is about. One of the greatest New Testament books outside of Galatians, probably even better than Galatians on this point, teaching about the law and what it taught about how to get saved, how to walk with God. But in and of itself was not a means of salvation. And that's what the Jews did. They made the law the means of salvation. And it's impossible in your flesh to keep the law. Once you receive what the law is talking about, Jesus as Savior, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the brand new life of Christ, then you have the power to walk as God wants you to. But you got there by somebody explaining it, teaching you. And in the Old Testament, it was the law of Moses. Well, with all that under our belt, let's turn to Romans chapter 12 and take a look at verse 9. Then we're going to go to the book of Hebrews. Romans chapter 12 and verse 9 says this, Let love be without hypocrisy. How can love be hypocritical when you love every and even the things you're not supposed to love. Notice the second part of this verse, abhor. You know what abhor means? It means to hate. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Now, this is not a popular verse today. You know why? Because there's signs with hate written on it and a big round, you know, circle with a slash through it saying we're not supposed to hate. As Christians, there are times we hate and God lays it out in the Word of God what we are to hate. Think about this. Did God put love in your heart? Yes, but He also put hatred inside of you, and we're supposed to hate certain things. It's laid out so simply in this verse. I don't know how you could mention it. Let love be without hypocrisy. Love that is hypocritical loves everything, including the things you're supposed to hate. Then it goes on to say, abhor what is evil. There is evil in this world, and we're supposed to hate what is evil. You don't hate people. You hate the evil they're doing. Then it goes on to say, and cling to what is good. In other words, have a genuine love that comes from the heart, filled with God's Word, backed by God's Holy Spirit, and in a desire to please God and rescue people out of the evil that they are in. Although God is love, His love hates all that is evil, and it's written throughout the Word of God. Take a look with me at Hebrews chapter 1. 
verses 8 and 9. While you're turning there, a welcome to those that are viewing for the first time. You might be saying, this is going to be a program about hate. Yes, it is, but all scriptural. And I know if I don't explain this ahead of time, I'm going to get a number of letters, a number of emails from people saying, how terrible. We're not supposed to hate anyone. No, we're not supposed to hate anything. Well, we're not supposed to hate people. That's for sure. God so loved the world. He loved everybody. But one of the things he did through his hatred was eliminate the things that were hard on people. I love my children, but I hate poison. I don't want them to drink poison. I want to get rid of that poison out of their life so I can preserve their life. And that's what sin is. That's what iniquity is. It's a poison to our system and a poison to the world. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us in verses 8 and 9, here it says, to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. There it is. You've loved righteousness. You've hated lawlessness. That's exactly what Romans 12, 9 said. And that is abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. He goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. God gave his son a commendation that rejoiced over exceeding gladness for him for this. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. This is what God wants out of our life. This is what God is trying to teach us today. And especially in the New Testament, the walk of faith. Notice that Hebrews is in the New Testament. You might be thinking, well, that's one of those Old Testament passages. Listen, the Old Testament is the foundation for the new. The Old Testament guides us right into the new, and there's a greater understanding of the new when we understand where we have come from. Quite a bit of that goes on in life. We try to tell people how great things are here. They don't understand. They say, I don't like this city. I don't like that. And then the next thing you say is, you should have seen where I came from. I mean, this is paradise compared to where I came from. And what God is telling us today that the New Testament is paradise compared to the Old Testament because the Old Testament told us what to do, but not exactly how to do it. You have to search deep into it it to find out exactly how to cause that thing to come to pass because we in and of ourselves from our own strength, our own decision and our own flesh cannot please God. So let's read that verse again. This is when Jesus arose into heaven after he had gone to the cross, after he had died, after he had been resurrected, after he walked on the earth for 40 days and, and met with his disciples and then went into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father. So to the Son, God the Father says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness, but you've hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Hatred can be a Christian virtue when directed at Satan and the evils of the world. And hatred can be righteous. Righteousness hates as much as it loves. I'm going to say that again. Righteousness hates as much as it loves. We hate evil while loving the evil person. Jesus did this. He came to them to help them get rid of the evil that controlled them because there was a precious person underneath that Jesus Christ died for. When Jesus died, he eliminated the evils of this world. And we have to see that because on the cross, basically what we have is he loved righteousness and hated iniquity. He was dying for the iniquity 
iniquity so that the righteousness of God could be made available to people. And we need to do the same thing. There's so much evil in this earth coming from Satan himself, coming from the religions of the world, and we need to qualify to people what is evil and what is good. You are trapped in this evil, but we can get rid of the evil by giving yourself to the goodness of the greatness of God. That's the person of Jesus Christ, and they accept him as Savior. We hate evil while loving the evil person, but Jesus, who died for the evil person, also hated. He hated the religion they were in. He hated the evil they were in. He hated the sin they were in and will destroy the evil they created and operated in one day. There's going to come a day when Jesus Christ is going to come back and one of the guiding things he's coming back for is a destruction of what is evil in this earth. He's going to come back hating the evil of this earth and finally eliminate it at the coming of Jesus Christ at the battle of Armageddon. And so again, Jesus hates those who hate righteousness and loves those who love righteousness and wants us all as believers to love righteousness but hate the things that the people in the world are trapped in and that they are bound in, the chains of unrighteousness that they're wrapped in. He wants us to eliminate those so they can break loose into freedom. This is what God wants. God and Jesus both believe in and use capital punishment. Here's something interesting. There's so much uh, controversy about capital punishment, especially among Christians. And the world toward Christianity. They say, you believe in capital punishment. Well, the reason why I do is because God believes in capital punishment. God has exercised capital punishment. He has used capital punishment through the years to get rid of evil out of this earth. And people who are so entrenched in evil, they would not change. And this is why God waited 150 years before the flood of Noah. And for 150 years, Noah preached on it. He came and warned the people this was coming, but they would not forsake the evil they were in. It so engulfed them, so entrapped them. And the evil was so strong that God finally had to send a flood. And so again, the days of Noah's flood was God coming in against the evil, but preserving the eight righteous that were in the earth. At the Tower of Babel, the same thing happened. God gave them time, but they would not repent. And finally, God came and destroyed the Tower of Babel then took the people on the earth and separated them from each other and then gave them different languages so that if they did come back together, they couldn't communicate with each other. So again, that was the Tower of Babel, a display of God's hatred of evil. Sodom and Gomorrah, what a tremendous example of God's hatred of iniquity and hatred of lawlessness, but love for righteousness. He tried to save the people over and over again, and yet they would not listen. And finally, God had to destroy those two cities with fire from heaven. But he still, even though those that were there from Abraham's family, Lot and his family, they were into the evil and the wickedness there, but because they had a love inside for God, deep down, he rescued them out of the city. Again, God said, you have loved righteousness and hated iniquity. God hates iniquity, but he loves righteousness and there was hope in there for Lot and his family. And so the next one's going to come and will be the biggest of all will be Armageddon. Jesus is going to come back at the battle of Armageddon. And because he has allowed evil for so long and as many people to get saved as possible, it finally comes down to the point. If he doesn't come on this particular day, Jerusalem is going to be taken over by Satan, by Antichrist and the forces of evil in this earth coming against the nation of Israel to take over the throne that is inside 
the temple because it's on that throne that Jesus Christ will rule from. And in the meantime, Antichrist has been sitting on it trying to prove he is the Christ, but Jesus is going to come back and settle that thing once and for all. And the Bible tells us Jesus is going to come back, open up his mouth, and out will come a sharp two-edged sword, and he's going to destroy the enemies of God, destroy them in one great battle. And the Bible says that the blood will run up to the horse's bridles for 185 miles. This is the God we serve. And I'm telling you, if you accept him as Savior, this is also the defender you have inside of you against the evils of this world. God, his, the presence of his son, Jesus Christ in us, and also the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, all three of them are attached to the Godhead and are the Godhead, and all three of them love righteousness and hate iniquity and will enable us to walk through those times and come out victorious on the other side in the midst of terrible evil in this earth. For hating lawlessness, there is a commendation by God, an anointing of the oil of gladness for proper hatred that Jesus had for the evils of this world. God's gladness was also a reward for the proper hatred of evil in this earth. And he gave those to Jesus Christ. And before he sat down, he said, you have loved righteousness, but you've hated iniquity. And he said, therefore, I'm going to anoint you with the oil of gladness. So there's, it's all right for Christians inside of us to hate the iniquity that's in this world and try your best through the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the gospel, and the power that God has given to us to deliver people out of that evil and bring them into the right righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then a walk of righteousness after that. I'll see you right after the break. Hi, Pastor Bob here. It's time for my annual minister's conference. It's going to be March the 7th through the 9th in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'll be speaking. Joseph Z will be joining me as well as Orlando Juarez teaching on praise and worship. I look forward to it. Every year has been a life-changing event for me and for the ministers who attend. And I believe in, in the year 2024, we're going to see a special move of God like never before. So I look forward to seeing as many of you as possible that are involved in any section of ministry at all. The first Hebrew believers turned Jerusalem and the world upside down. But in 70 short years, they had become bogged down in legalism by mixing Judaism and Mosaic law with their faith. This tainted doctrine crept into the rest of the church and provoked Paul to respond with an intricate and astounding revelation of Jesus Christ. In this New Testament commentary on Hebrews, Bob Yandian employs historic biblical detail and subtleties in the original Greek to dissect Paul's brilliant argument for the superiority of Jesus Christ, the mature believer's walk, the reality of authority, and the importance of faith. To order this New Testament commentary on Hebrews, visit our website at bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity and faithfulness, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit our website at bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. 
Welcome back to the broadcast. For those of you that are watching today for the first time, you might be saying, wow, this is kind of a strong teaching. For those of you that have been watching for 10 or 20 times, say, oh, he teaches on this stuff from time to time. It's from the Word of God. What are you going to say? It's in the Word of God and needs to be taught. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And for those of you who've been watching for quite a while to become partners with me, you're saying, ah, this is good stuff because you know what? We need to hear what God has to say about righteousness and what God has to say about evil because the world is filled today stronger than ever with the evil that's going on. If you would like to become a partner with me, as I've mentioned about that third group of people that have been watching this program for some time and have become a partner with me. And a partner is one who stands with me daily in prayer but also daily in financial giving. And uh, I ask my partners to give on a once a month basis, but there's this constant thought there. The money I give into Bob's ministry is spreading that message of the Word of God and not only making converts, but may even greater than that now making disciples. And Jesus made that uh, point of view. And he talked about the fact that he came to save people, but he also talked about making disciples of all nations. And that's what we are to do also. Not only get people saved, but to also bring them into a walk of righteousness righteousness to where they can walk with Jesus and walk with him every day and grow in strength in the knowledge and the life of faith. So let's get back to what we were saying. If you would like to become a partner with me, go to my website, bobyandian.com. You'll find there a place where you can become a partner with me. And thank you ahead of time for saying, yes, I do want to become a partner with Bob in this ministry. For hating lawlessness, there is a commendation by God an anointing of the oil of gladness for proper hatred. God's gladness is his reward for your proper hatred. God gives a reward of gladness and a reward of joy and happiness for you standing up for the righteousness of God, but also coming out against Satan and against his works in this earth. And this is what God has asked us to do. We ha you have loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Jesus was hated by Satan. Isn't that interesting? Jesus was hated by demons. Isn't that interesting? But Jesus was also hated by people, and that was the religious crowd of his day. It wasn't the people Jesus was upset with. It was their open attitude toward the hatred that religion brings with it, a condemning attitude and a looking down on those who are righteous and walk by faith daily in the Word of God. They hated Jesus because they hated righteousness. Jesus had a lot to say about religion and his hatred for it in Matthew chapter 23. Let's take a look that Jesus said this openly to the crowds about how much he hated religion. Because honestly, a person who is not religious is a whole lot easier to win to the Lord than a person who is, is religious. Religion brings this pride in you, this self-pride in you that I'm okay by myself. I'm keeping a certain list of rules and regulations. But religion drives you farther from God because religion makes you think great of yourself, but coming to Jesus means you have to think nothing about yourself. I'm a sinner. I am lost. I was born in this condition. I need help to get out of it. And Jesus is there to help me get out of it and walk in his plan, in his righteousness, and walk in his word day by day. So Jesus had much to say about religion and his hatred for it here in Matthew chapter 23. Take a look at verse 4. 
Jesus here talking about the Pharisees of his day, those that went out and they did not preach the gospel, they preached the law, they preached Judaism, and they made uh, converts, but the converts they made were not converts for Jesus, they were converts for religion. And it says in verse four, it says, for they bind heavy burdens. This is religion on the innocent people. They bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them, not even with one of their fingers. Verse five goes on to say, all their works they do are to be seen by men. When you're a Christian, you'd show your works to men, but you don't do it for that reason so that you look great and they can see that you look great. No, you do it because you care for them, honestly care for them. And what people remember when you walk away may not be your name or what you look like, but they remember the love that you came to them. That's what they've been looking for. And religion offers no love. It just offers rules and regulations. Look at verse 13. Jesus said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourself, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. He said, you keep inviting people in the kingdom of God, but you're not even in it. You're on the outside. You open up a door so people can come in, but you won't let them go into it. In other words, you are not born again. You are not believers in Jesus Christ. You are not believers in the true gospel. All you believe in is your religion, and you look to yourself for self-salvation. And then you look to deliver others through your self-salvation into the walk that you have, which is a walk of evil, which is a walk of confusion. And that's what these people that have been following them have found out. This is all confusion. This is all evil. We seem to accomplish nothing. Verse 14, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Let me tell you how they devour the widows. They're husbands had died, they come in and they're after all the money that he left to her. And they present it as you're giving into God's work, you're giving into God's kingdom. And when they walk away, the widow is broken, then they offer nothing else to her after that. And it goes on to say, and the way that you get around it is you make long prayers. You pray in public, you pray loud, you pray long to impress people so they'll think you are so spiritual by the length of the prayer. It is not the length of the prayer, it is the intent of the heart. It doesn't take a long prayer to get saved. In fact, it doesn't even take a prayer. It just takes accepting Jesus, but we usually turn it into a prayer, which is fine. But again, Lord, I believe in you as my Savior. I accept you as my Lord. I now give my life to you. I thank you for saving me in Jesus' name, period. That's it. It's not a long prayer, so you don't have to. And sometimes as Christians, we think the longer the prayer and the more visible the prayer, the louder the prayer that we pray, somehow we're going to appear spiritual before others. It may appear that you're just hypocritical. And what the Lord was simply wanting you to know is you don't have to have works in front of people to impress them. Let the love of God coming from your heart be the impression that you make on people. Verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Notice this, he's calling them names in public. You might say, oh, but Jesus is supposed to love everybody. He loves these Pharisees. He just hates what they're doing. He does not come against them personally. He comes against what they are doing. Woe to you, scribes 
Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to make one proselyte. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say you go around from uh, land to sea and travel on that to win one person to Christ. He says you don't come to make one convert. You come to make a proselyte. Let me tell you what a proselyte is. In that day, as it would be today, it is a sinner now acting like a Jew. They bring them in. Now they start dressing like the Jews. They start acting like the Jews. They start going into the temple and they have not come to Jesus Christ. A proselyte here in this case is a Gentile acting like a religious Jew. Today we do the same thing. Often we just say, well, just come to church. You'll be fine. So they're just a sinner looking like and acting like and talking like a saint. They really haven't given their life to Jesus Christ. And you know what God calls this? Evil. If that would work, Jesus never needed to come. He didn't need to die on the cross and shed his blood. He went on to say, you travel land and sea to make one proselyte. And when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are yourself. You get this person so wound up in what they're doing, they surpass you in their walk of unrighteousness, in their walk in religion. And he says, and they appear twice as much a son of hell as you are yourself. Why does he call them a son of hell? Because they don't know how to make a true convert to the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, they don't care. They just care about bringing them in, affecting their life, controlling their life, getting their money. That's what they're after. Verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of extortions and crime, self-indulgence. What does he mean by this? He said, you appear so pretty on the outside. You wear all the right clothes. You wear the right vest. You have on the, the, you know, the different uh, garb that you're supposed to have as a leader in the Jewish religion. But you know what? It's all outside dressing. There's no change on the inside of you. It's like, you know, if you had a coffee cup and, you know, it's dirty on the inside, but you pick up the cup, it looks so great because why? It's been washed on the outside, but no one's clean the inside. I serve a Jesus Christ that doesn't start on the outside. He starts on the inside and he cleans you completely. By giving your life to him, he cleanses you of your sin, all in righteousness, and then you begin to work on the outside of it by a walk with him, and this is called a walk of righteousness. Jesus said to those Jews who just believed in him, now if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth can make you free. You see, God knows you're a convert, but the more you walk with him, and day by day the world now sees and knows you're a convert. That is true discipleship. What's on the inside now comes to the outside where the world can see it. The world can't see your heart that has been born again. You might tell them, but what they're going to do is wait and see if there's any change on the outside. That's exactly what discipleship is. It's a change on the outside to match what's on the inside, and you're just as clean on the inside as you are on the outside. In fact, you're cleaner on the inside. That's where the Holy Spirit lives, and that's where Jesus Christ lives. Jesus threw the money changers and their tables and their product out of God's house. His disciples recall the scripture how that the zeal of the Lord would consume Jesus. You know what? That zeal of the Lord was so strong, it actually caused Jesus to love righteousness and hate iniquity. And when Jesus walked into the temple and saw there were people, listen, Jesus didn't mind the occasional sale of a, you know, if a person didn't have a, a, a lamb to offer to the Lord, that they could go buy one there in the front. But when they begin to jack up the prices and bring in everything else and trinkets and all the other things, selling those things, they turned the house of God into 
into a place for a profit of money. And that's why God got so upset with them. And Jesus got so upset with them because why? The love of money is the root of all evil. And they actually turned God's house into that. God doesn't care in your church if you sell books and things like that for the blessing of people. But when you start jacking up prices and look to make a tremendous amount of money through your bookstore, you've gone for the wrong reason. His disciples recall the scripture, how the zeal of the Lord would consume him. And the zeal of the Lord here was the hatred of evil. The day is coming when Jesus will return to earth, cast off and destroy all that is evil and those who are evil. God has asked us also to hate that which is evil as we live to imitate God himself. Let me just give you a few scriptures on that. Proverbs chapter 6 verses 16 through 19 tells us seven things that God hates and we in essence are supposed to hate it too. There are seven things the Lord hates. A proud look, this is arrogance, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Notice it's our right to shed guilty blood and that's fine and we have laws for that but we are not to shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among the brethren. Deuteronomy chapter 16 verses 21 and 22 tells us this, God hates the carved idols of the heathen. And that carved idol is simply something on the outside that's already in your heart. You're serving the wrong God and you're even making idols to it. So God hates it when his own people come into his presence with false acts of worship in hypocrisy. God wants us to genuinely worship him, whether it's in church or outside of church as a reflection of what is on the inside of our heart. Thanks for joining with me today. I'll see you next time. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts by visiting our website at bobyandian.com. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. If you would like to contact Bob Yandian Ministries, visit bobyandian.com and click on Contact. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.